0: um cool we haven't actually got much time left um which is fine there's, we've got there's loads to talk about loads has happened and there's so much to thank god for um and today's preach is quite i mean it's very very gospel focused um i really want to if you've never ex- accepted jesus before uh today could be a wonderful time to 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 know him as your lord and savior but also there's some really important lessons we're going to learn in Joshua 9 uh, today, um, which is really interesting. So so the start of my preach basically today uh, is two lessons we learn from the Israelites, from their from their mistake. They mess up a little bit in Joshua 9, uh, which isn't great. We're going to learn two lessons, only two lessons, and then we're just going to preach gospel after that. Uh, so it should be quite simple for you to follow. And if I go off too far, then stay with me. Uh, that's just the Holy Spirit guide my words. Um, but I want to try and keep it really simple, because this scripture can get very complicated. Uh, so we're going to keep it as simple as possible today. So Joshua 9 is quite a long bit of scripture, so I'm just going to summarize it for us. Uh, you may have read it already. Uh, I Remember, Nat in- always encourages us to read it uh, like in the week or whatever, um, which obviously I've done because I've been preparing this. Uh, but I'm going to summarize it for us, some key points, and then I'm going to go into the first lesson that we hear from the Israelites that can teach us about how, how we should go about church and things like that. Uh, so, well, let's think. Firstly, what's happened so far? Well, Joshua's been appointed from Moses. Uh, they, I'm pretty sure the Israelites know God is with them. They've won some amazing battles against such as Ai. They won against Jericho. Uh, a lot of Canaan, which is the promised land they're told to go into and basically get, get rid of everyone in there, they're kind of winning pretty well. A lot of the nations around them at the minute are pretty scared. Um, so we hear that at the start, that some other nations around are trying to like get together. How are we going to defeat the Israelites? They're winning everything. we got to stop this. Uh, and if you don't know, basically the Israelites are told by the Lord God a bit earlier on to go into to Canaan uh, and basically get rid of everyone in there uh, because it's a sinful place. There's lots of sinful cities in, in Canaan. And we come across one of those simple cities called the Gibeonites in this, and it's very interesting the way they go around it. So firstly, Israel know that God is with them. They're winning pretty well. They've won loads of battles. It's going pretty good. And I think often in church that happens with us. Things are going great at the minute for us as a church. We're growing in number. But we're going to learn some things today about the way that the enemy often attacks us. It's pretty scary and it's quite hard. Um... So that's gonna hopefully gonna learn some things about that today. Um, So yeah, where are we? So how do the Gibeonites win over win against the Israelites? They kind of win in a way. They win. The Gibeonites hear about Israel winning. They hear about what they're doing. So they conjure up a plan. And you may have heard this before, but they conjure up a plan and they and they basically think that if we say we're not from Canaan, they're not going to kill us. Okay, because if you remember so if they think oh we're not from Canaan they they're not going to kill us so they they go and they don't just go appearing as themselves as big strong and mighty they're pretty scared of israel so they think of a cunning plan to hide themselves to make it seem like they've come from a distant land so what they do is they bring moldy breads they bring old donkeys worn out clothes they don't go looking as if they're strong and basically this plan is deceptive to make to trick the israelites to make them think that we're not from here, so they, they're going to join. And what do the Israelites do? Well, they, there's a really key bit of scripture that says they don't seek the counsel of the Lord. Come on, Israel. You've, you've won some pretty impressive, <laughs> you've won some big battles. You don't seek the counsel of the Lord. And what happens? The Gibeonites win. Now, the Gibeonites don't kill <laughs> Israel. That's, that's part of the story. They just join them. And they see that it's a clean motive behind what they're doing. They're scared of Israel. So what lesson do we learn from that? I thought the first lesson is, as soon as we don't start relying off the Lord as a church, as a people, it's not like we lose, but we're not going the right way. The enemy can come in to deceive us very easily if we're not listening to the Lord. I'm going to read Psalm 146, and I'm going to read a... ah, That's all right, don't worry about it. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 146, if it's going to load. Um, And basically... And I'm also going to read a couple of other bits from the New Testament about how Jesus lived as well. Um, oh, it's not loading. Right, I'm going to find Psalm 146, and it's going to teach us something uh, about how we should look at the Lord, how we should follow Him. So bear with me whilst I crouch down here awkwardly on the floor. Always uh, oh, there. There we go. Okay. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And He frustrates the way of the wicked. That we're talking about God who is so powerful and so strong. How dare we think we can. Seek our own sense. Look at the mouldy bread that comes in, and think that we somehow know what's going on. As a church, I sound really harsh, but how dare we think that we don't need the Lord's help? There's times in my life when I think, "How dare I? How dare I do things in my own strength? How dare I go and do things all all by myself?" Jesus says something beautiful in John five. He says, "This is if Jesus needed this to." the, the help of the Father, how much more do we? He says, in John 5.19, he says, Very truly, the Son can do nothing by himself. We, in the same way, if he, if the Son can do nothing by himself, how much less can we do by ourselves? Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He only He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus, when he's talking to Peter too, he says, To Peter, on you I will build my church, and the gates of Hades won't prevail it. As a church, as a people, as a nation that have been called into holiness, that's who we are. How dare we do it by ourselves? And we're gonna give some time later to respond to this. So don't worry if you think, oh no, I've been doing things with my own strength. We're gonna ask the Lord to search our hearts. We're gonna rely on him. It's far better to rely on him. He's so much better. It's just as Psalm 146 said, He's so strong, mighty, he gives food to all those that need it. If it. Hopefully that encourages you today to lean on the Lord. So that's the first lesson. Let us be a church that follows God's direction, his wisdom, his guidance, not tasting the bread with our own uh, taste buds or not seeing with our own sight that deception isn't there, but leaning on him. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is a little bit harsher and it hits a bit further down into the heart. The Israelites won the big battles, but messed up. A simple bit of deception. You think they've just won these big battles. They're like, oh, we're going strong, we're fine, everything's good. And then literally a simple bit of deception, the enemy gets them. They make an oath with these people. They were, the Lord told them not to make oaths with. And we're going to talk about the mercy of God later, how powerful the mercy of God is, which is where we're going to talk about the gospel. So they're deceived. Well, what, what is deception? Who, who is behind deception? Who do you think is behind deception? yeah satan in genesis 3 we hear uh, that basically that, that that uh satan deceived adam and eve he is the father of lies he's the he is deceptive in nature as a church we come against an enemy that often we think is out there in the big spiritual warfare attacks like the big battles which he is there okay so there will be battles that we face that are scary where and possibly there's even scary things happening like demonic activity. That that will happen to some of us. But I believe that the New Testament paints a different picture and the whole Bible paints a different picture of an enemy that we need to stand firm against daily. If we think about Ephesians 6, um I'm gonna read out Ephesians 6. It's not gonna load, so I'm gonna to have to find it again in my Bible. It's like a game of Bible swords for me now, because I I did have it on my laptop, but now I'm gonna to have to go everywhere. So bear with me. Um, I'm going to read out Ephesians six and if I could get you to count how many times it says stand, and we're going to look at the importance of the word stand. Um, so here we go. This is bringing me back to my youth days and we had to like find a bit of scripture the fastest and whoever won it first was the best Christian uh, whatever. Um, there was a lot of zealous competitivity in the room, um, So where where should I read from? We can read from, we're going to go from 10 to 17. So this is Ephesians 6, 10 uh, to 16, oh no, 17. And basically, listen now, count with the many fingers you've got, you might have 10, you might have less than 10. Uh, Basically say, think how many times it says stand, and then we're going to look, like I said, at the word stand. So finally, in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the e- day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm again with the belt of truth, buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I did do quite well in key stage one and two. I counted four stands. Four, four, great. I've passed key stage one, which is amazing. We hear that again, stand firm. What's the importance to stand? Well, if the enemy isn't one that we're meant to run after, he's one that we have to stand firm against. And how does that come? Often that comes in things like temptation. Temptation hits the heart. If you're a Christian, you've been tempted, (laughs) and you've probably fallen into temptation, like all of us. And we're taught to put on the full armor of God, to stand firm, to look with his sight and stand firm. When the day of evil comes, we'll be able to stand firm against him. And we're going to pray later as a response. If you're feeling weak, uh, as I was walking down, I looked at my phone. I forgot to charge it last night, which isn't the end of the world. It's nice not to have a phone every now and then, but it was on 5%. And I just got this sense that some of us around here that are on 5% or less, um, we're not really ever 100%. We'll be 100% when we're in heaven, uh, which would be amazing. But I got that sense that the Lord is speaking to some of us today to be refilled with his battery of power to stand firm against the enemy. Being a Christian's hard, right? It's hard. The Israelites see that following God is hard. They do their best to get rid of sin, but in the simple bit of deception, they're gone. So that would be a great way, maybe even as I'm talking, to have a little, a little think, Lord, what percentage am I at the minute? Where am I? Let's respond to that today with eagerness. Um, So, yeah, that's one of the second points. We face an enemy that's prowling around, wanting to have us, wanting to deceive us every day. Um, Okay, we're going to go into the gospel bit very soon, but I just want to share a story that I actually just, I just quite like the story. I can't help myself. for those of you who don't know me, uh, I love mountain biking. So I'm, a, I'm an avid mountain biker. Uh, I've been doing it for about four years now. Uh, and about three, no, two years ago, um, I bought a new bike. And then sadly, the bike had to go into warranty because it started snapping. The frame started to snap, which wasn't my fault. And they gave me a brand new bike, uh, which was double the price of the one that I bought it for. I bought the first bike. I saved up all my pocket money working at McDonald's, big up McDonald's. Uh, and I said, have all my pocket money. I bought this bike for about around a £1,000. And they gave me a bike back worth actually near around £3,000 for free. Okay. It's a wonderful. You can think 17-year-old me has just been given like over a, about 1.5K just like that. I was pretty ecstatic. I was like, I'm winning some battles right now. This is brilliant. This is wonderful. I go to Norwich, which is where I'm from. And we have some wonderful bike just like jumps there. And we start riding, we hit the big jumps, we're all fine. I'm hitting all the like the stuff we're used to riding, uh, flying in the air, it was good fun. And then later on in the afternoon, when we think everything's fine, there's this little jump that's at the bottom of the hill that I'd never hit before. It's only about 10 foot, which is for me is fine. That's like a normal size. I didn't think about it, I was like, I'm going to hit this jump. This is fine, I'll just cruise over it and hit the other one that's behind it. And what do I do? I go far too quick into it. I get bucked over the bars and this brand new bike, fall on my shoulder, collarbone snaps in half. I was in A&E for seven hours. All they gave me was some paracetamol and a little sling. And I was just there like, do you know what? Actually, this is funny. What, what hurt most uh, was, you know, that, you know, when you sit in a car for really long, your bum starts to ache a little bit. Yeah, my bum hurt more than the collarbone after A&E. So that tells you it wasn't it didn't it wasn't too painful. That shows you how long I was in A and E for. So God help the NHS right now, because yeah, we should keep praying for them for that. um So yeah, do you see the story in that? Do you do do you see what I'm trying to get to there? I I was I thought the big jumps were fine. I thought that oh yeah, I only need to think carefully about those big things. But then the little little jump that I thought was fine deceived me and got me, threw me over the bars. I mean, I didn't die from it. I'm still around now. But often when we're in church, when we're in our personal lives, the enemy is actually more powerful, I believe, in the smaller things when we have to stand firm. So that's a little analogy just to help you understand, uh, as Christians, how we should stand firm. I want to encourage us also that when we're facing temptation, finally, it won't overcome us. What a, what a wonderful passage. The When we face the enemy in his strongest uh, fights and when he is most powerful, the Bible actually says it won't even overcome you. No temptation can overcome you. How wonderful is that? What an encouragement that is to me, to you. The enemy won't overcome us. So let's stand firm today. you keen for standing firm as a church. That is what we're praying for. So now this is hopefully the gospel bit. The Gibeonites, what do we learn from the Gibeonites? Well, they're they're basically, they're a strong nation and they hear this other nation coming in. Okay, so they hear about Israel coming in. They hear that they're winning battles. They also hear that other nations around them are forming alliances. And I'm reading this commentary the other day, uh, Matthew Henry, that says, the same sun hardens clay yet melts wax. That's some pretty amazing linguist skills there. The same sun hardens clay, hardens the hearts of the other nations like Jericho and Ae. yet softens wax. Whose heart is the wax? It's the Gibeonites. They see the power of Israel. They see the, the might of the Lord and their hearts melt in fear. And they think we're either going to die fighting them or we're going to try and make a plan. We may die trying, but we're going to try at least. And they go back to, to Israel. They go to them humbly with little clothes, They're not going arrogantly to them. And they say, look, (laughs) they try to deceive them. But when they get found out, they say, do with me what you will. Do with us what you will. And before the throne of God, that's our response to him. And I'm going to draw some bits of of the New Testament around. There's a wonderful story that I'm just going to read out. It's my kind of, I've written out this story and I want you to guess what story it is. You'll probably get it straight away. And it's about our hearts melting before God's. But saying, coming back to him in humility and saying, Lord, before you, (laughs) I am nothing. Something else I just want to point out before I read that is both nations fall short. Both nations fall short. The Gibeonites, obviously they fall short. They're from Canaan, so they're a sinful nation, just inherently. And the the, uh, Israelites fall short by not listening to the Lord, by not seeking his counsel. So both nations are stuck in sin. That's quite important. There's some wonderful bits in Romans that we're going to look at later about that. Both sides are stuck into sin. So this is the story. You may recognize it. There was a rich family around the time of Jesus. And in fact, they lived uh, in the same kind of area as Jesus's ministry. And one day the father gets his two sons together and he says to them, one day I'm going to die basically. And I need to give you my inheritance. So here's the inheritance now. You may have the inheritance now. You may start to guess the story. And yeah, the the older son He's a good boy. He receives it. He's like, oh yeah, that's fine, that's great. I'm not going to spend it. I'm going to be wise. I'm just going to keep working for my father's house. The youngest son, what does he do? He goes off. He doesn't just spend his money on simple pleasures, but he spends his money on evil things, on things for his own heart, on things for his flesh. He's living a life of sin, and he's using his father's money for a life of sin. And he's sitting. Uh, he's sitting in this basically this pigsty. He's sitting in this pig farm. And he looks around him, and he sees that even the pigs have a better life than him. All of his money runs out. All the resource runs out. He's not going in his father's will anymore. All of the money runs out. So what do you think he does? He, he goes back, doesn't he? He goes back, head down, just like the Gibeonites, head down in humility. I know they tried to deceive Israel, but they, after their deception kind of failed, they just say, do us what we will. He goes back to his father. He says, "Father, make me like one of your servants. Do with me what you please." Do you see how those two are the same? In Joshua, it says, "Do with me, do with us what you please." And when the, the, the younger son goes back, he says the same thing, pretty much. He says, "Make me a servant. Make me serve you. I I am stuck in iniquity. I'm stuck in transgression." Those words, iniquity is like crooked behavior. I'm stu- I'm crooked. I'm not right anymore. I've fallen from you. Or transgression means to break a trust. He's broken the trust of his father. The Gibeonites did exactly the same. They they were stuck in sin, although they weren't kind of part of, don't look into it too much, they weren't part of Israel already. But we're kind of, in a sense, all made in the image of God. He says, Make me one of your servants. What does the older son do? He says, How dare he come back? How dare this this prodigal son come back? How dare you dress him in beautiful garments? He's fallen, he's gone. He's 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 not part of the family anymore. He lost his chance, he fell. Look at me, I've been a good boy. Then yeah, what does he what does that older boy not realise? Both of them are just the same. He's full of pride. He doesn't realise that the only reason he's there in the first place is because of his father's grace. Because of his father's mercy. In this story, we see some of the congregation of Israel say to the Gibeonites and to the Israel leaders, how dare they come back? How dare, how we, how dare we save Gibeon? How dare we say, yeah, you can join us? They, they're from Canaan. We see exactly the same thing. Yet what they don't realize is that only there, by God's mercy and by his strength and by him. And actually, we see Joshua kind of foreshadow God's grace in Jesus. Does that make sense? He foreshadows God's grace in Jesus and in the same way. That's what's happened to us. I just think that's wonderful, like really wonderful. God's grace for us. We are both. We are. We are all fallen. We have all fallen short. If you, I remember in Alpha they used to draw a line. They used to say, "Who are the most evil people in history?" Do it from the top to the bottom. they probably put Hitler at the top and Mother Teresa. At the bottom she's the best (laughs) and what they do is they draw a line down the middle and say no they're all the same and the story tells us that we're all the same before god it's only by his mercy and by his strength that we can live often we can think that our works can save us like the older son often we think that our works are enough but in this story, we see that God's grace and his mercy is enough. In Romans 11, it says God has led us all over to sin. He, not led us. He has bound us all over to sin. It, literally says, it says he's bound us all over to sin. Why would he do that? <laughs> and then it says later on, it says, comma, in order that he may show his mercy on us. The Lord has bound us all over to sin in order that he may show his mercy for us. That shows the beautiful heart of God, His intention to bless all the nations with His salvation, if they choose, we see that happen to the Gibeonites. I just think that—I mean, if that—that that is the most beautiful truth of of all of humanity, ever. If that won't change your life, well, it will. It will. The mercy of God in Jesus has shown us mercy. We are now free. We're now seen as clean before him. I think that's wonderful. uh, I'm going to go to Romans 11. And you think it's quite confusing how God has bound us all over to sin in order that he may show his mercy on us. It's very confusing, (laughs) very complicated. And I'm not going to try to preach. I mean, I'm going to struggle preaching a lot of that. Even the top theologians find that tricky. And we will never understand why the Lord has done that. But apart from just to show his mercy, to show our dependency on him. In Romans 11, Paul, Paul gets so confused with this idea that the Lord has bound us all over to sin. He gets so confused with it that the only thing he can say is this doxology, which basically means this piece of praise. This piece of praise is like a psalm. He basically explains all of this. He says, the Lord has led us all over to sin in order that we may receive mercy. It's so confusing to the Apostle Paul. All he says is, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? (laughs) Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To be the glory to, to him be the glory forever. If you struggle with understanding God's mercy and his grace, I just want to remind us that the Bible never really says God loves you. It often says God loved you. And it's pointing back to something in history. It's pointing back to a time and a moment in history where Jesus died on a cross. It says, don't just necessarily think about the heart. It says, look at a thing that has happened in history. Look how God has. Has died for you and how look how he's risen in order that you may have new life. If you're struggling to know that not to know the love of God, just be reminded that he once loved you and he still does through Jesus. We're gonna have some time to respond. Um we've only got well ten minutes left. Where's George? There he is. Do you want to come up? So Three. There's three ways we can respond. If we're struggling, I mean, two real ways. If you're struggling with temptation, with trial, with spiritual attack, deception, uh, maybe uh, even so- things like mental health can be a, a real struggle of deception. Uh, w- I'd love to pray with you. There's if you wa- if there's someone you don't trust me, you want to pray with someone you know. Uh, that's fine. Not everyone's going to want to, you know. I get that there's often deep things we want to talk about, and maybe that's not even right now, maybe later. If you want to pray and ask for the Lord to show his love again, to remind you that his love covers all of our sin, to have help in these things, I'd love that we can respond in that way. If you're facing temptation right now or whenever, and you're feeling like, I'm struggling to stand firm against the enemy's deception, I'd, I'd love to pray with you. I'm sure if you trust someone else, then there's someone else that can pray with you as well finally in in hebrews uh it says this is going to be our prayer now as we go into worship it says let us draw near to god with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings just like the Gibeonites had faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience that means to not basically think that we're we're guilty anymore (laughs) To basically think and know that you're saved, and having our bodies washed with pure water, so Lord, I want to thank you so much for for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you so much that you've covered us, you've washed us free from sin we we were once like the prodigal, you've brought us back Lord you've brought us back, you put a new garment on us. it's not our works that can save us, just like the older son thought it was it was his works that could save him. Lord, only your works save us. Only you save us. Lord, so I pray that now as we go into this time of worship, help us respond in a way where you can just cover us with your love. Will you just be covered in your love, Jesus? Where batteries are low, <laughs> where batteries are low fill them up again. Recharge us, Lord, to, to know your love and mercy and grace again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.